0: Was it Wednesday, Thursday? Whatever day the really bad weather was. Thankfully, we're okay. Good Lord's bless us with a pretty Sunday, pretty Lord's day. Okay, I do have a lesson. Uh, I'm gonna see if I can't PowerPoint, get that going. doing something wrong. Uh, what do these fabled Jews is the name of it. So we're on lesson uh, 24 in your, in your books. And uh, there it is, thank you very much there. That's page uh, 133, we're almost to the end of our book here, so we'll be moving on into another study pretty soon. Um, this week's lesson will be both a review and an expansion of last week's lesson that Brother Chris taught us on Nehemiah. We'll really kind of dig into Nehemiah and uh, what we should remember him for, that sort of thing. So. Um, What do these feeble Jews was kind of a sarcastic statement that was made by Sanballat the Horonite in Nehemiah 4.2 and he made fun of the Jews for attempting to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The entire city of Jerusalem, including the temple, had been destroyed in 586 B.C. during the siege by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon at the time of King Zedekiah of Judah in the southern kingdom. This was, this was during the third deportation, uh, third deportation of the Israelites to Babylon. And the first one occurred in 606 B.C. Okay, so. Yeah, we're working there, aren't we, Tim? Appreciate it. Sure. Okay. Okay, that'll do. Thanks, Jim. So we'll go back here. looks like we're, we're working there, so that's good. Um, as a 70-year exile had been prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29.10, and after the conquest of Babylon by the Persians, their captivity ended when King Cyrus II, this is Cyrus the Great, of Persia allowed them to return to the Holy Land and rebuild the temple and the, and the altar. Upon their return from exile in about 536 B.C., uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua, uh, this is not the Joshua that uh, conquered Canaan, of course, but he's a Levite who was one of the first returnees spoken of in Nehemiah 7.7. 7. Um, they rebuilt the temple, and the construction was completed 20 years later, by 516 BC. Rebuilding the walls, however, had not been done, and leaving them very vulnerable. Um, so, so what? What should? It, what? What happened next? Okay. Who is Nehemiah? In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes one of Persia, and this is around 445 B.C. Uh, Nehemiah was among those exiled to uh, Susa, also uh, known as Susa, modern day Iran. This was 765 miles from Jerusalem. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king working in the royal palace. He may have been appointed to his position by Queen Esther because she of course was the husband, was the wife of, of uh, Xerxes who was a Persian king from 486 to 465 BC. The cupbearer was a very important position of trust appointed by a king because the, cup, the king could be poisoned by an evil cupbearer who served the king tainted wine with poison. You may recall back in in Genesis chapter forty, when Joseph was interpreting the dreams of the cupbearer and the um, and the baker, that uh, the cupbearer was in prison, and in three days Joseph prophesied he'd be released. And who knows? It could have been something that he had done. That he being the cupbearer, that was along these lines. We don't know, but he got. Maybe he was accused of it or something like that of trying to poison the Pharaoh. But anyway, what a, it was a very important position of trust, especially since he was a foreigner, um, Nehemiah. Upon learning that the walls of Jerusalem were broken and the gates of the city had been burned the, and the Israelites living there were in great distress and reproach, he asked the king for permission to return to Judah and rebuild the walls. Artaxerxes, the Persian king, appointed Nehemiah, governor of Judah, which is now a Persian province, and allowed him to return and rebuild the walls. He sent back with him letters explaining his support and how, it would be, uh, how he would be, have full control on how it was to be done, and he could use the, the king's forest. Okay, uh, just an aside question here. Uh, in what way was Nehemiah sort of a type of Christ to return to, uh, to Jerusalem from Persia? I guess what I'm trying to say is, how would we compare him to Christ in that regard? To save his people and to build. That's right. He, uh, that's right, Mike. That's right, Susan. He, they, Christ left the uh, splendors of heaven that he had been there f- from eternity, and he came to this earth to save us. And in a way, I guess we could say Nehemiah was that way also. He came to, he, he left the comforts as a cupbearer in the greatest nation on the earth at the time, the power of the earth at that time to come back and to help his people. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll study more about that as we go along. Um, so once he was there, Nehemiah uh, boldly resisted the opposition of God's enemies and their attempts to discourage him. And th- there were very difficult conditions there. The walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt in 52 days. And it, this provided security for all the inhabitants uh, Nehemiah, he was a very big man of planning. He prayed, he planned, he built. Uh, he came up with a great plan, proceeded to oversee the building of the walls. He was a great organizer. You know, it's, it's hard to be a good organizer, but he was a great organizer. So, um, so we see that, uh, how did he go about this? Well. He had a lot of opposition, and we'll talk about some of those. Here's some of the opposition, if you can read this. Um, There were enemies of Nehemiah and Israel. A lot of these people had accumulated over the years, even back to the conquering of Canaan. Sanballat and Tobiah are first mentioned in Nehemiah 2.10 as being upset about Nehemiah's work. It says, when Sennacherib the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard about this, they were much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. In verse 19, they, along with Geshem and the Arab, the Arab, mock Nehemiah, say, "What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king?" Of course, we know that uh, that that the, with the king's blessing. Uh, Nehemiah was doing this, but th- they just wanted to taunt Nehemiah and stop this. Um, their anger continued to grow against them, and uh, they they become very incest with with this, and they ridiculed the Jews, um, the the Horonites. Uh, and the Ammonites were two of the people groups that God had driven from the promised land uh, for the Israelites. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were regional governors serving under the king of Persia. Sanballat, called a Horonite, was probably from Horanium, a city of Moab. Of course, we know Moab was begun uh, by... um, Lot and one of the daughters. He, you know, uh, t- they as as a as a out of wedlock type marriage, a uh, type of uh, uh, event that occurred where uh, they had a had a had a baby, thinking that they were the only ones left on Earth. Lot and his daughter, and the the Moab, Moabites came out of this. And the Moabites and the Ammonites, the other one that came out of this, they just uh, plagued Israel from then on. Uh, I guess this was maybe the good Lord's way of showing that this should have not ever happened. Um, Geshem the Arab was most likely from the region south of Judah. Generations after Israel had possessed the Promised Land, some of their old enemies were back seeking, uh, seeking to keep Jerusalem in ruins. Uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem had used various ploys in their attempt to disrupt the Jews' work. These three men sought to harm Nehemiah uh, and intimidate him with false reports, deception, false prophets, and and influence the nobles of Judah. All of this is uh, in Nehemiah 6 if you want to read that. Nehemiah adds the uh, as that El- Elishabib, the high priest, was related to Tobiah, and one of the grandsons was the son-in-law of Sanballat. So we see that our government is corrupted with a lot of uh, nepotism and that sort of thing going on in our own government. Well, it didn't just start now. It's been going on for uh, millenniums, really. So um, that's how all of this corruption came about. Um, In Nehemiah 4, 2 and 3, it says, and Sambalat spake before his brethren and army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. Uh, We see how these evil men were, uh, how evil these men were just by their conversation. And, you know, we can compare this to atheists and agnostics of our own world today in that they, uh, you know, a lot of times when people can't, uh be successful at something, or if they can't progress in this world what do they do? They just try to knock down everybody else so that's kind of what's happening in in this regard, especially all they're trying to do is protect themselves with a wall you know so um so um and the one who sounded let's see. Getting ahead of myself. The the efforts of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were futile. And the simple reason was that they were fighting God's plan. They tried to stop Nehemiah's efforts to build the wall. They tried to discourage him by saying the wall would crumble easily. And when the Jews continued to build the wall anyway, they even tried to convince Nehemiah to flee inside the temple at night and So he would be safe. All the while, they had a plan to assassinate uh, uh, Nehemiah, and in an effort to stop the wall construction, a major conspiracy was hatched against Nehemiah. And he, but he kept the Jews working and the building the wall on building the wall on a daily basis. You know, we can take a, a note from this very much because uh, we. You know, there's oppression on every hand to the church, to us as Christians in our daily lives, but we just got to keep on, uh, keep on with our uh, Christian life and trying to do good works. So uh, because of their efforts to stop the Jews, Nehemiah ordered the Jews to not only keep building, but to also have a weapon in one hand and build building materials in the other. Uh, In Nehemiah 4, uh, starting with uh, verse 13 and going through 23, it says, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, will fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, every one to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at the construction, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and wore armor, and the, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that they would, would with one hand work at the construction, and then with the other hand held a weapon, Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and the others held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people. The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held spears from daylight until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took our clothes, took off our clothes except for the daily washing. So you see how dedicated these people were. They, um, they, they saw a project that had to be done it needed to be done rather quickly because they had enemies, they were uh, even trying to assassinate Nehemiah. So there was lots of oppression there and they had to do this quick and they had to do it well. Um, Cooperation, something that we can take into account uh, nowadays in the church uh, Nehemiah had many trials during the building of the wall, such as a rebellion from the Jews who were building the wall, who claimed that they were having to pay high taxes even to fellow Jews under the Persian king. You know, uh, of course, the Bible talks about, I, I think it's in Deuteronomy, I should have looked it up, that you're not supposed to do uh, charge usury, uh, which is, uh, you know, interest to a fellow Jew there uh, in the, uh, uh, you know, if you're loaning them money, so, uh, so forth. But this evidently was going on here, even under some of the Jews who were leaders. And so Nehemiah comes along and puts a, puts a, a squash on this. He stops it. He's very uh, compassionate. Of course, he was wealthy since he worked for the uh, king of Persia. And um, he tried to encourage them as they built. A very compassionate man. Now, what they were doing is they were um, each family was building a portion of the wall that was in conjunction with their their home where they dwelt. So they were being built. That it was being built all along, and they were doing the gates and that sort of thing. Also, there's twelve gates. We'll talk about some of that uh, coming up here. There are the, the gates of Jerusalem. And there's a lot of symbolism going on with those gates too that we'll talk about. The Israelites worked on the wall consistently by family units according to Nehemiah 3. They built the 12 gates of Jerusalem uh, including the fish gate, the sheep gate, the valley gate, horse gate, the dung gate, fountain gate, water gate, and others. And they uh, did not rebuild rebuild the wall of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had a large uh, wall that he had had built during his time, uh, which was several, a couple hundred years before. The walls were, 400 years before, the walls were sturdy, taller than they had been during the initial construction prior to the Babylonian destruction. Uh, and the, Israel's enemies heard about this. They were afraid, humiliated, and lost their self-confidence because they realized that the work had been done with the help of the power of God and that therefore God was with them. You know when they uh, you'll read throughout the Old Testament and even in the new that when God was behind something, a lot of these uh, pagan or a lot of these non, God-fearing leaders noticed it, and they backed off, you know. Um, for example, back when, I believe it was when Isaac went into um, Egypt, and he told, his, he told uh, the uh, Pharaoh, Abimelech, that he, t- he told him that his, it was Gerar, I believe, actually, that he told him that it was his sister, uh, his wife was his sister. Well, he was; she was a half sister, and um, he noticed that uh, he was getting plagues and things like that. And, uh, and, and Abimelech said, "Well, why? You know, why is all this happening? Uh, who is your God?" And he told him, he, "Of course, he told him his God was the God of was Jehovah, the one who created the universe. So he had great respect, and he said." Let me give you a bunch of sheep and cattle and get out of here, you know. So he goes back to his homeland. And so a lot of these people, you know, Pharaoh, he even knew that, uh, he knew that God was the real God uh, because, you know, all those plagues, most of the plagues were anti their gods. And uh, so, you know, uh, same situation here. These, these uh, Ammonites and... Uh, Uh, all of these uh, Moabites and some of these other Horonites, they knew that Nehemiah had help from the good Lord in all this situation. Um, By the way, during an archaeological dig around Jerusalem, concrete rock uh, rock blocks of this wall have been discovered in the past couple hundred years. I think it's back in the 1800s. they discovered that these blocks were very sturdy, even though the archaeologists could not tell when, where, tell uh, they could tell that they were built in haste. So, in other words, they were built in haste, but they were still sturdily built. Um, so this shows that. Uh, you know, that, that uh, God had to been behind this for them to do this in 52 days, and it turned out to be as sturdy of a wall as it did, being built in haste. Um, you know, this 12 gates thing, we could study about that too. It's, um, the number 12 is like, represents completeness and perfection, and that sort of thing. Uh, Revelation 21:12 12 uh, talks about the 12 gates of heaven. Of course, that's a symbolic thing there, meaning completeness in getting to heaven and that sort of thing. So, you know, we've got the number 12 with the apostles and the 12 tribes. It's all throughout history, you know, that uh, all throughout a religious history. You know, the 12 on the clock, 12 hours. Um, a lot of that stuff is not by chance. It's, uh, that's the way that it was set up from the beginning. you know. So um, the walls of Jerusalem were completed in record time. Um, Nehemiah 4.6 explains the reason why the project was successful. For the people had a mind to work. They cooperated. They did not complain. They worked hard and they set their mind to completing the task at hand and did not let their enemies stop them. Um, Nehemiah's response to his enemies is instructive to us. Rather than fear or worry or seek revenge, Nehemiah took the matter to the Lord. He prayed about it. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the, the prophet, Nodiah and how she, this was a woman prophetess is who it was, she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Uh, Nehemiah 6.14. Even in these days there were false prophets. Uh, Nodiah was one of these who tried to get construction. of The wall ceased and they just continued to work. Um, by completing this massive project which was such a uh, such a difficult undertaking in ancient times with primitive building materials and equipment and you know they didn't have our, our cranes that we have out here in our big buildings or anything and doing this in 52 days Nehemiah restored their confidence in God and made them feel once again safe and protected under his his leadership. The pagan nations around them no longer had the power to disrespect and humiliate the Jews. It was completed in the Jewish month of Elul, which is the sixth month of the Jewish calendar beginning in late August. Now the Israelites could worship peacefully again and the second temple, which is already constructed, uh, they they could worship in peace. Uh, without walls, during this area, during this era, they would never amount to much. Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was this most notable act of, of course. Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah should be remembered as a man of prayer, great faith, obedience, and a man of great patience. Com- Consider the these passages about patience. Um, Proverbs twenty twenty two: Do not say, "I will recompense evil." Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. Uh, then Isaiah forty thirty one: But those who were, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and mount up with their wings like eagles. Run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Then Lamentations 3.26. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Then Psalms 37.7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in in, in His way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass." You know, we see that Nehemiah was a great man of patience and faith. Um, and one of the reasons he is regarded as one of the greatest God-centered leaders of the Old Testament. Uh, his patience was rewarded. Uh, he represents a noble example of true patriotism. It's founded on the fear of God. Uh, in uh, Nehemiah 5.15 And seeking the religious welfare of his state His respect for the divine law And his reverence for the Sabbath uh, His devout acknowledgement of God in all things His practical perception of God's character And his union of watchfulness and prayer His humility in ascribing to the good in himself To the grace of God in other words, he didn't take any of these, of this rebuilding of the wall or what he had done, and say, I did it. He said that the Lord helped me by God's grace, and are all highly commendable. Few books of the Bible contain a richer illustration of true religion taught by example than the book of Nehemiah. D- D- um, uh, let's don't go there yet. Um, it was God who empowered Nehemiah with strong conviction, determination, and a sense of duty to the nation, but above all, to his God. Despite strong, persistent opposition from Sanballat, the uh, and Tobiah, who tried to impede the construction of the wall, uh, Nehemiah was not deterred from his goal. His enemies scoffed at his attempts, threatened to. To attack the workmen, and even to kill Nehemiah, but he he persisted in, through his faith. There are few men in the Bible who exemplify the strength of character, faith, and trust that God uh, exemplified through, exemplified through Nehemiah. As it as it were not enough, imagine having to deal with discouragement, hardship, and and the fellow citizens who were distressed because of greedy callousness of nobles and rulers. And to make matters even worse, some of the rulers conspired to try to, to, uh, to kill, it, kill uh, Nehemiah. No wonder the prophet Daniel described this period in his prophecy in chapters 7 through 12 and specifically in Daniel 9, that these were troublesome times. and that that it would require great men of faith to get through them. When first faced with opposition, he answered his adversaries, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as his servants will arise and build, build, rebuild. We never flinch from our first conviction. Such courage and heroism should encourage us to do the same today. Nehemiah's efforts to rebuild the wall exhibited his important component of faith and he physically did not part, did not, did his part to complete the project. Even though Nehemiah had the authority, he and his family did not extract taxes from the Jews while they were building and neither did he require real estate from his personal benefit and use. He focused his he focused his um, attention on completing the work of the wall, and it is remarkable that he was able to do this and provide food for the, for the people as they, as they worked. Nehemiah showed concern for others, yet in spite of this, I did, did not demand the governor's provisions because the, the bondage was heavy on these people already. Nehemiah was truly an outstanding servant of God, willing to set a high standard, uh, uh, even if it meant personal loss, discomfort, or pain. He was truly an outstanding servant, willing to, set, uh, willing to encounter personal loss or discomfort or pain. The, uh, the latter part of the book of Nehemiah describes how he reinstituted the Feast of Booths, which is the feast of in gathering at harvest of first fruits, uh, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to show thanks for the harvest and 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 that sort of thing. Uh, and then the Jews assembled in in uh, penance and prayer, recalling the past sins. He fulfilled he fulfilled of fulfilled promises. They were all given, uh, they agree to separate from their surrounding peoples to keep the law, and they repopulated towns surrounding Jerusalem. Twelve years later, Nehemiah returned to, to Susa and then came back to Jerusalem and noticed that they had been backsliding. He asked for reformation and praise to God. In Ezra 10 and Nehemiah 13, the Jews make the hard decision of divorcing foreign wives and cleansing the genealogy. And the genealogy had to be cleansed because Christ was going to be coming from it That this genealogy four centuries later. So we've said all that to talk a little bit about church cooperation today. As in the days of, of Nehemiah, the church needs good leadership as shown by Nehemiah at how he had overseen the building of the new walls. We as members of the church need to cooperate with uh, elders and deacons and help uh, any way we can. Followship is just as important as leadership. We must have goals as a church and work together to achieve them and do everything within our power to cooperate to achieve the goals. We must pray for the work of the church as Nehemiah did and then our goals can be accomplished and work toward them. As these Jews were called feeble, but overcame this label by being successful in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in only 52 days, we need not to sell ourselves short and accomplish with teamwork, cooperation and foresight the goal of the church, which is to evangelize the world and to remain faithful. Our attitude is key to our success, and we want to be successful and strive for a strong, and successful congregation of the Lord's, Lord's people. So I've got three minutes, and we can talk about anything you want to talk about in this lesson or comment on any any of this lesson. Good background material. Great job. Thank you. Um, I thought it was real interesting. I, I I I studied a little bit last night about Cyrus the Great, and I thought that was a really good uh, study. He um, he was one of the most compassionate world leaders ever. Um, he, um, unlike the Babylonians, he didn't want to take people and flay them when he conquered all these countries and whatnot, or. You know, burn them at the stake or any of that kind of stuff. He actually made quotes that said, you know, if you make people your friends, even if you're lording over them, then that'll go a lot further than they will love you forever type thing. I wish I could should have I should have written down some of those quotes, but he uh, he actually, even though he'd conquered a lot of nations and they were. At that time, the greatest nation. They ended up conquering the the Medes. The Medes and the Persians uh, defeated the Babylonians. Well, Cyrus ended up beating the Medes, and became Persia became the greatest nation until uh, uh, Greece took over a couple hundred years later. But the compassion of Cyrus, uh, the the great, was was really you know, kind of led to the Greeks taking over because Alexander and the Greeks, you know, that's where democracy came from, uh, that former government. And, a, and it was kind of a precursor, Cyrus's Persia, to to the Greeks and democracy and that sort of thing. But, you know, that's a real interesting study if you ever want to go and kind of kind of dig into that somewhat. But any other comments or Um, who was first? <laughs> okay. All right. Christopher, okay. Okay, just, just a real quick uh, mention. I think on page 134 of the lesson in the book. Uh-huh. Um, it also mentions organization, which I think is an interesting point, because sometimes we stop thinking about organization of the church when, it, when we get to deacons, and we don't think about actually organizing the efforts that all of us do together. Um, and I just thought that was a good point to make about how you don't just do the work, you need to organize the work too and everyone has a job. And that was very important for Nehemiah, wasn't it, Chris? The story pertains to the church. Mm-hmm. It's symbolic. I mean, that story's there for us to look at it and to apply. If we get lazy and complacent within the walls yeah. within the church, we will fall. But we always have our swords. We have the Bible. yes. Good analogy. Right. We have to get the mind to work. That's right. Our mission is to seek and save the lost. That's right. Resting on our laurels in the church—it's that's right. This is not a place of rest. There's no retirement in the church either. I mean, it's um, you keep—you may retire from your from your paying job, but you still—you are—you you should work every day for the Lord. It says Revelation two ten says, "Be faithful unto death." So that's what we need to be doing. It's uh, not about Right. And you can closer with that, but there's nothing like working with others. That's right. The it's hard work but it's worth it. Oh, yeah, there's joy. There's joy in it too. It really is. I mean serving the Lord, serving others, that's what that's where you get true happiness in life. It's not from uh entertainment, that sort of thing. I mean there everything has its place but uh, entertainment should certainly be on the back burner in the church. That's for sure. Um, so those are all good comments. Anything else? Anybody wants to say? So I appreciate the, appreciate the comments and your attention. And uh, I guess we'll proceed to lesson twenty-five next Sunday. We're getting real close to the. I think we got two more.